We are continuing on. Really, we've had a full weekend with our Ignite conference. We have seen uh, God do great things. Uh, come see what God can do. We certainly did, as we heard from many of our partners who came from around the world and, and the nation, and in even our city. And it was so exciting to, to hear the good news of what God is doing. We are still receiving the gift for Christ. And this gift goes to provide the, the ability for our people to engage nationally, internationally, locally. So continue to give, continue to pray for that, that gift for Christ. And continue to lean in as we're, again, we're, we're seeking to see what, what it is God can do. Right now we're seeing the difference that God makes as we're looking at snippets of the, of the book of Ephesians. We know the difference God makes. He brings light and life and warmth. And what we're going to see today, what our text shows us today, is that God strengthens saints. God strengthens us, his people. He, he makes us saints from sinners. And, and every sinner turned saint is responsible to be a part of a local family of faith, a local church. And every church is different. Every local church has its own way, its own kind of mission. Our mission here at Living Hope is to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. That is our mission. And we have certain activities that we participate in. We, we talk about the life in Christ as the disciples' life. And the disciples' life calls us to carry the disciples' cross, to carry out these activities that the heart is to gather for worship. At the base is to equip for growth. The arms are to connect in groups to serve the church and world. And the outcome, what comes out of us, is that we make more disciples. This is what God has called us to do. And what we, what we understand and what we're going to see in our text today is that God, God is at work. And we need to see the difference that God makes when he strengthens the saints and what our role, what our responsibility is in that process. I found that I, I need to be strengthened. Sometimes a little, sometimes a lot. Sometimes I feel like a friend of mine who was on vacation years ago was on the beach and he saw a young person struggling, got caught in the riptide. And so he swam out to, to, to help this young person and got the young person in quite a bit before another man had come out and, and, and grabbed him and took him the rest of the way. And my friend soon found out he was in trouble himself. And he was fighting the riptide and he began to swim uh, parallel to the shore thinking he could get out of it. And he really got to the point where he thought, I can't. And literally was ready just to submit himself to the pull of the waters when another man had seen him struggling, grabbed him and pulled him out. And, and this friend of mine, this is a strong man. And he said, you know, I'll never forget that moment of feeling like I've got nothing left. And in that moment, he was strengthened by another. You know, there are moments that can come in life when you think, I can't, I can't go on. Or maybe just be that you may feel fatigued. I mean, in this pandemic, there's going to be lots of moments of fatigue. And here's what we can know. God strengthens saints. God strengthens his people. And three of the ways I know I need to be strengthened regularly. One is mentally. I need to be strengthened with the truth. There's so many half-truths out there. There's so much junk out there. It is so mentally encouraging and strengthened to me to open God's word and read pure truth. 
There are times when I need to be strengthened emotionally. And in those moments, it is so sweet to lean in on the hope of Jesus. Just to know that Jesus, raised from the dead, is alive in me. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can commune with my risen Lord to the glory of the Father's name. And I can experience this renewal of hope emotionally and then spiritually. Spiritually, we all go through trials of various kinds all given by God for his glory and and our strengthening of faith. In those moments, I find such sweet nourishment in the gospel. In those moments when I'm, I'm able to freely say, God, I am a traitor, I have sinned, I am unworthy of you, and yet you loved me still. And yet you died to pay for my sins. You have been raised, you reign, you are returning, and you are my God. In those moments, I find strength mentally, emotionally, spiritually. This is the gift of God. And friends, we need it. Now, maybe you're not as weak as me. Maybe maybe you're one of these people that's able to get through with, with only needing a little help. But here's what I know. We all need strengthened in some way. And what our text shows us today It shows us what happens when God strengthens saints. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Ephesians chapter 4 to understand what happens when God strengthens his people and what our role and responsibility is in that. Again, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word as I read it. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated now and pray for the preaching of God's word. If you would, leave your Bibles open. I, I want to take you to the first part of, of Ephesians chapter 4. This is a transitionary sentence for the entire book of Ephesians. Uh, the book here uh, turns. It, it goes into a different direction. If you will, look at verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. When I read this sentence, there's two questions that come to my mind. Uh, the first question is this, what is therefore, therefore? We should always ask that question when we see therefore in the Bible. We need to ask ourselves, what is it therefore? And the answer is this, Paul is saying that in light of all the theology that he has just taught, that those readers need to now be prepared to live in obedience to what he's about to say. Uh, the, the first three chapters of Ephesians is doctrine. The, the, the second part is, is application. So the question then becomes, the second question I have is, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called? And See, that's what Paul is going to answer in, in chapters four through six. Again, 
Chapters 1 through 3 are doctrine. And so what you see in, in Ephesians chapter 1 is you see the process of salvation, how ha- it has been attained by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see the triune work of our one God and how salvation comes about and, and what it is we must do and what it is Christ has done that we can be saved. And chapter 3 builds on all of those fundamental truths. And then we get to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, again, we see this transition We're now going from doctrine to application. The the apostle is now telling us what it is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. It's very important to understand how important it is to hold on to what we believe. Those first three chapters are very, very important. Those first three chapters provide some of the most concise theology in our entire Bible. We need to know what we believe. And we need to hold to what we believe. And it's important that you know what you believe because what you believe is going to impact your affections. It's going to impact your heart. I've said this in so many different ways. I'm going to say it this way this morning. What we believe will always impact how we feel. What we believe will always impact how we feel. And what we think and feel will always determine what we do. Your affections will always drive your actions. Your affections will always be determined by what you believe. What you think will impact your feelings, which will always determine your actions. You know, different people believe different things. We certainly see this in our country today. Different people believe different things about wearing masks. Has anyone else noticed this? You know, there, there is this great divide. And that belief drives feelings. And those feelings drive actions. It was funny to me, uh, just a few weeks ago, I was in my truck and I was driving and I had my mask on. And uh, I don't know why I had my mask on. I'd just been in meetings for a couple of hours with my mask on. And so I walked through the parking lot with my mask on, got in my truck with the mask on. I'm driving, minding my own business in my own vehicle with my mask on. And someone honked at me. We were at a red light and I honked and I looked, someone honked. I looked over and there was a man who was aggravated with me. And he pointed to me, and he held up his a mask that he had in his car, and he pointed it in. So I got it. He wanted me to take my mask off. So I took it off, and I smiled and waved, and I let him move on, and I got his license plate and a restraining order. No, I'm, just I'm joking. I didn't. Maybe should have, but, but the feelings there. I was kind of surprised by his strong feelings about what I was doing in my own vehicle. But there is a belief that's driving feelings that are driving actions. And that's how it works. It's so important that that we hold to what we believe about God. Because what we believe about God will drive our feelings about God. And our feelings about God will drive whether or not we obey God. Our thoughts about God will drive our feelings about God. And our feelings and thoughts about God will drive our actions, whether or not we believe. Having made the case for the greatness of God and his grace toward us, Paul tells us to live, again, verse 1, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called by Jesus Christ. Those who live in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ are strengthened because God 
strengthens his saints. Paul writing to the church at Rome ended that wonderful letter with this doxology in Romans chapter 16. Very important to catch there in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. To him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. God is able to strengthen you. Our text shows us four things that happen, four things God wants to happen, four reasons why God strengthens saints, and I encourage you to take note of them. The first one is this. God strengthens saints to fully engage in faithful ministry. To fully engage. Not sort of engage. Not, not when it's convenient, not when, it, when it's something we want but to always fully engage in faithful ministry. Now, if you'll look in verse 11, you're going to see a, a, a list that's only a partial list of the officers and the people that God provides for the church. You see there the apostles. These are the ones who actually visibly saw Jesus Christ. They had supernatural powers to perform miracles. They they wrote and gave authority to the New Testament of our Bibles, and they founded the church. So he gave the apostles. He also gave the prophets. The prophets are those who gave us the promises of God. They pointed to the coming of Christ, not only his first coming, but also his second coming. And so what we have from these, these prophets are the promises of God that we can hold to. Not only do we have apostles and prophets, but we also have evangelists. These are those who go outside the church to tell people about Jesus. Some who've never heard some who just have yet to believe. Now, we, we call these evangelists different names. Sometimes we call them missionaries. But, but nonetheless, there's always those who are called by God, who are recognized by the church and sent out to engage. Now, we're all to be evangel evangelistic. We're all called to make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 applies to everyone. 2 Timothy 2, 2 applies to everyone. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 applies to everyone. But there are those who are specifically gifted as evangelists that the church is to recognize and to financially support and to pray for. And then there are the shepherds and teachers. Your NIV will say pastors and teachers. And these are those who are called by God to give care to the flock, to the church body, to instruct and to teach. And we're responsible to respond rightly to them. The Hebrew writer says, make their work a joy. Our lives should be such that that when those who are over us see us, they see those who are seeking to live as good sheep. You know, for years, I have, I have seen myself primarily as a pastor, as a shepherd. The last two years, in my prayer journal, there's been a, a noted change. Literally, I've noted a change because I, I, I write much of my prayers. For years, I've been praying for myself, and I ask God to bless me as a husband and a dad and a pastor and a teacher, and a leader, and a disciple maker, and a friend. You know what's become first on that list in the last two years? I've been praying that God would make me a good sheep. That when I see God, he's going to say, you were a good sheep, Pettis. Yeah, you weren't the quickest. Yeah, you were a little slow mentally and emotionally, but you were good. I like you. Friends, we're all sheep. And we're all under the good shepherd. And this good shepherd has given us all that we need so that we can live out 
to equip the saints. Look at this, to equip the saints. All that God has given is given so that, so that he can equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. God expects all of us to live the disciples' life. And we see that in the activities of the disciples' cross. At the heart is gathering for worship. At the base is equipping for growth. The arms connecting with a group, serving the church in the world. And what should be the outcome, the outflow that comes out the top? We are to make more disciples. Now, friends, when we're fully engaged in, in a minimum of these five activities, there are results. When we do them, the body of Christ gets built up. When we don't, the body of Christ gets beaten down. How do you think we're doing? How are we doing? Are we being built up? Or are we getting beaten down? To fully engage is to be all in. When God's people are all in, in a single unifying love under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, there's a big difference. Any organization that doesn't have everyone all in will, will suffer for it. I, I remember several years ago, this is more than a decade, I, I was serving on a mission board and I was tired and there were things going on in this church and there were things going on in our family and I needed to be here, but I had committed to this mission board and so I, I had to take several days to go and be a part of these meetings and it was difficult to get to where the meeting was. And so I had to take different airplanes and I'm, I'm tired. And so I finally get there just in time for the meeting. And I find out that the chairperson has made the statement, he's not real sure if this mission board is even needed anymore. I had not made a resolution. In, in the, in the, I think at that point I'd been on that board a couple of years. I'd never stood to the floor and made a resolution. And I... I wish I wouldn't have now. Looking back on it, I wish I wouldn't now. But in that moment, at that time, I stood and made the recommendation that he immediately resign. And it was second. And then when there was questions, thankfully a friend of mine said, I think you should, <laughs> I think you should recall that. And so I did. And I'm glad that I did. I'm still friends with the person who was at that time chairperson but I, I was I was not glad I was I was I was not too sad rather to say to see him go because when he stepped away from leadership a whole new group of leaders stepped in leaders that were all in and it was amazing as new leadership came in the key leader stood up and said this either get all in or get out said that to the board and to the staff and there were people who left and you know within a year that organization began to produce fruit like it hadn't in decades. Because when people are all in and God is strengthened, then something powerful happens. Friends, we are called to be all in, to fully engage in the work. God has given us, God has given what we need to be all in. Are you all in? Are you engaged in those five activities? Are you gathering for worship, equipping for growth, connecting in a group, serving the church and world, making more disciples? When God's people falter, the church fails. Friends, we must be steadfast. We must be faithful. Second thing to note, God strengthens saints to progressively grow in Christ-like maturity. 
Every believer is in the process of becoming more like Jesus, one way or the other. Now, some are growing faster than others because some are delighted to discipline themselves to grow. It is crucial to understand what Christ-like maturity is. Again, when we look at the disciples' life and the disciples' cross, we look at these activities, gathering for worship, equipping for growth, connecting in groups, serving the church and world, making more disciples. Those activities are meant to produce results. It's not enough that you show up to the activity. We are to produce results with those activities. It's not enough that you go to the weight room. I remember in college, I was responsible to go to the weight room six days a week. I worked out maybe two. I did not get the results of the other people. I thought I looked fine, but you know, some people. Friends, what results are you getting? Do you know what results you should be looking for? Let me give you three results real quick to be looking for in your own life. The first one is love. Love. Sounds simple. It's significant. Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. How you doing? Do you love The second is fruits of the Spirit. These activities should produce the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Lastly, there should be gospel sharing. When, When we are living out the disciples' life, there will be words that come from our mouth and lifestyles that exude The fact that God is at work to bring salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ, look at this, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We now have peace with God through Jesus Christ, who died and paid the penalty for our sin. Because we have peace with God, we have peace within. And it's now our responsibility to tell others that they too can have and should have peace with God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We are to tell people of what Jesus has done, his holy life, his virgin birth, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his second coming. And as we do that, we will live out our calling. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When we choose to delight in the discipline of God and we engage in those activities faithfully in the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be results. Now, some are growing more rapidly in those results than others because of their discipline. All God's children, all God's children are under two kinds of discipline, all right? Make sure you understand this. The first kind of discipline all God's children can and often do come under is God's discipline, divine discipline. And this comes because as a result of our sin, of our faithlessness, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 and 11 says this. 
For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we sin, God disciplines us. He allows us to feel guilt and shame. He will oftentimes bring pain into our lives. When God wants to raise up a man or a woman that he can use, he will oftentimes take them through seasons of pain. Just as when Jesus was, after Jesus was baptized, go back Matthew 4, Luke 4, what's the first thing that happens? He gets sent to the desert to learn to fight for obedience. This is what our Father does. If we won't discipline ourselves, God will discipline us because he's a good good father. The other discipline is self-discipline. And this is the discipline that comes about because we know and love and obey Jesus. Because we have a deep love for him. Because we desire to know him. And when that desire is there, we say like Paul, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, self-discipline does not mean that we go it alone. You look at some of the greatest athletes and artists in the world, and you will find that most of them have coaches. Most of them have very good coaches who can speak into their life, who can challenge them. Sometimes words of comfort, oftentimes words of, of, of change that need to happen in that athlete or artist's life. Friends, we all need to, to have those who speak. That's why, verse 11, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers and we need each other on top of all the others that God brings into our lives. And don't forget the goal. Look at verse 13. What's the goal? Not that, that you will have perfect attendance, although that's a part of your growth and discipline, but so that we will attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We must fully engage and we must discipline ourselves to grow. When I look at the, the five activities in the disciples' life, I see living hope lacking seriously in two of them. Actually, more than two, but surely two. One is equipping. Very few of our membership goes through the equipped courses that we provide. Rooted, Alpha and Omega, we just finished gospel-centered life, gospel-formed. All these are courses intended to provide fundamental foundations for growth in the Christian life. And many of our membership don't even know what they are. On top of that, many are not connected. They're not having biblical discussions. In the next few weeks, you're going to hear about these equip opportunities. You're going to hear about ways in which we're going to seek to bring connection to our congregation. One of the ways that we're going to seek to do that, understanding we're in a pandemic, understanding that it's, it's nearly impossible to get 12 or more people in a house, we're going to challenge you to do gender-based, what we're going to call microgroups. Just get together, three or four of you, men, three or four of you, women, and we're going to provide resources and ways for you to have conversations, maybe about the sermon, maybe about a text, maybe through the Disciples Life material that we've developed. But we have developed all of this so that we can be equipped, so that we can grow. And, and friends, we, we have a responsibility and an opportunity to grow. We must discipline ourselves to do it. Third, God strengthens saints to firmly stand in doctrinal purity. 
We live in an information age and not all of that information is accurate and true. I bet you can finish this statement. I bet you know what the second word is. We live in a world of fake. One person knows. (laughs) Say it again. Some of you were now waking up. We live in a world with fake. It's an iconic statement. I think it's going to be around for a while because certainly our news agencies, every one of them has earned this moniker. Our news has become propaganda. And friends, we need to understand that. And we need to view it as such. As Christians, it is crucial that we have a firm handle on what is true, what we believe, and why. We need this for the sake of our own souls, but also so that we can serve the souls of others. Without a firm stance in doctrinal purity, we will easily be deceived. And friends, never underestimate your ability to be deceived. You have a devil who has been alive for a long time. He knows the Bible far better than anybody in this room. And he knows how to deceive. I've seen people deceived. I served on a church staff with a man for five years. We were friends. We had lots of conversations about the Bible, about Christian lifestyle. I was in his home. Our families got together. After I came here, a short time after I came to be your pastor, I found out that this man had abandoned the Bible as the one source of truth. He no longer believed that the Bible was God's word. And he no longer held to the Christian lifestyle and standard that is issued in the scriptures. It broke my heart. Here was a person who had been a source of encouragement to me, who had held to biblical authority, who had held to Christ Jesus and his lordship over our lives. And it hurt me. And it scared me. It scared me. So I actually took a season, two or three years. And I went back and I restudied why I believe that the Bible was the authority of God. I went back and restudied what, how we got the Bible, what, what the Bible is, how we know it's true, how we know it's God's word. I went back and reread several systematic theologies. I can tell you after that season, I stood then where I stand now. The Bible is the word of God. It is the word that tells us what is true. And it is that truth that reveals to us the doctrine of salvation and all the other doctrines that lead us to have affections for Jesus. And that truth and that affection drives our behavior. And when we hold to the word of God, we hold to what is true and we must stand in doctrinal purity. Here's what I know about people with faltering faith. I've seen it. Friends, I've done this. I can't believe I've done this as long as I've done this. I've been in ordained ministry now 27 years. Let me tell you you the three things I see in the person who's going to have faltering faith. First of all, they stop their daily personal study of Scripture. They stop reading the Bible. And I know some of you are thinking, well, you don't have to worry about that for me because I never started. That's the problem. People who falter in their faith, they get away from studying the scripture. Secondly, I'm going to make sure you understand how I'm saying this. They reduce their worship gathering activity. 
Now, what I mean by that primarily is usually they, they stop attending church for worship every Sunday. And they begin to make excuses as to why other things are more necessary. But understand what I also mean is they reduce their activity in worship. In other words, they may be here, but they're not here in heart and spirit. Like right now, some of you are not here. Right now, your mind is elsewhere because there are things that are far more important to you than God's word in this moment to honor God. And that leads to a faltering faith. I see people who stop studying the word of God and praying God's word. I see people with with less engagement in worship gatherings. And I see people tolerate sinful attitudes, appetites, and actions. You see them taking it easy on themselves. You see them saying, oh, you know, I just lose my temper. Oh, you know, that's not such a bad program. I know it has lots of nudity and and all kinds of of violence, but you know, I can handle it. I'm a a mature person and, and they are not disciplining what they allow into their hearts and minds. Friends, the best way I know to ensure a firm stance in indoctrinal purity, it comes from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter one, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Prepare your minds. How do you do that? Bible study, prayer, Bible discussions in a small group. Handful of men, handful of women. If your whole group can get together, Bible discussions. Secondly, focusing on the hope of the gospel. Set your hope fully on the grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, and then live a holy life. Where does that come from? It comes from knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and obeying Jesus. Because if you're having problems obeying him, it's not that you have a lack of willpower. You've heard me say this. It's a lack of love power. And you need to be renewed in the power of the gospel of what God has done for you so your affections are inflamed and your obedience grows. As the world changes and accepts sin as normative, God's people have got to stand firm and do not expect to be applauded for it. Expect to suffer. Friends, I'm going to say big. Expect to suffer for saying what the Bible clearly says. Expect to suffer when you say marriage is between a biological man and a biological woman. Expect people to not do business with you for it. Expect television shows and movies and music to mock what you believe. Stand firm. Stand firm on the gospel. And when you have this purity of doctrine, you know and tell you what's going to happen to you? You're going to experience peace of mind. You're going to experience peace of soul. And you're going to experience peace in difficulty because when the waves come and the winds howl and you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to find yourself walking on water and the world is going to wonder, how did she make it? How can he stand? How can they continue on? Because we have the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ who's been raised. It's the power of the resurrection that we live in, friends. It's the power of the resurrection that is our strength. And he strengthens us in it as we hold to him. Finally, God strengthens saints to constantly live in loving unity. 
of all the things we need to be concerned about, the most important thing we need to focus on is our love for God and other people. The Holy Spirit has led me to this text for several weeks to, to slip it in. I'm going to slip it in today. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The truth or what we call doctrine is crucial. Biblical faith will always result in love. Friends, let me say that again. If you are reading your Bible and it's leading you to hate anyone, you've read it wrong. The Bible will always call us to love. To love God, to love people, especially our enemies. Jesus goes to great lengths to tell us that if we love God, then we will certainly love the way he loved. Jesus loved his enemies and he died for us. Us, traitors. And we are called to love. And we must not allow anything to divide us. In the nearby church, two men of the same membership of the same church did not agree politically. And so a couple of weeks ago, they got in a public argument over politics. And a friend of mine, who knows them both, brought them together. And he said, I personally am so disappointed in both of you because, because you have lost a great opportunity. He said, I'm not worried that you disagree politically. See, that's not what's been lost. What's been lost is that you refuse to show the world what it looks like when two people who don't agree still love each other. How many of us in this room have lost that opportunity in arguing over masks and politics and things that we have no power over? How many of us have caused harm Friends, the Lord calls us to love. We're not always going to agree. My, my brother and I, growing up, he, he beat me senseless often, but no one else was allowed to. We don't agree now, but you know what? We love each other. And so it is with all God's children. We are called to love. Speaking the truth in love. That doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth. It doesn't mean we don't have convictions. What it means is when we share our convictions, we do it with love. Speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is head, into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together. What are we held together by? The love of Christ. By every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that we build ourselves up in love. J.C. Ryle says, unity without the gospel is worthless unity. It is the unity of hell. What holds us together is the truth. And that truth produces love. And that love produces a lifestyle that loves God and loves people and stands on truth. How are you doing? Is that you? Without Christ, we'll have to rely on our feeble, sin-tainted love, our weak, easily influenced thinking, our sinful nature 
will guide our moral direction, which will lead to destruction. But in Christ Jesus, we are forgiven. In Christ Jesus, we are loved eternally. And in Christ Jesus, we can love everybody and hold to the truth. Some of you can't do that because you don't hold to Jesus Christ. Some of you can't do that because you refuse to walk in obedience to him. The very simple, the five minimal are almost impossible for you because you won't discipline yourself. Friends, today is the day of decision. Let's bow our heads. If this morning you need to repent and believe the gospel, then do it right now. Tell God in your heart, he hears you that you've sinned that you know that, that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, that you believe that, and that you want him to now live in you. If you prayed that today, you need to be baptized. Let someone know that today you became a Christian and you're ready to be baptized. Some of you are my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and you need to be strengthened. But God strengthens saints who are leaning in to his way. Are you leaning into his way? Are you getting the results? If not, I can assure you that the problem is not on God's end. Renew your faith commitment to Christ right now. Acknowledge where you've fallen short and commit to be obedient. Father God, we... We like to tell ourselves and we like to think that we want to be in control and that we want to be able to do what we want the way we want it. But Father, we know that that is foolishness. Lord, what what has been said today has been offensive to some. It's been affirming to others. But Lord, we all need to hear this. Would you strengthen us? Your people, saints, And would you be honored and glorified to use us, to bless us, and strengthen us that we might live for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.